0: need to do that at the end of this recording. Not tonight,
1: you're not on the list. Hello, I'm Conor McLoone and welcome to the You're Not On The List podcast, where I interview and dive deep into the lives of those in the music industry. From artists and DJs to festival owners and promoters, we take a look at the early life and careers of those in the music scene. My guest this week is a DJ, music producer and label owner from Brighton. Taking a look at his impressive Spotify stats, 1.7 million streams in 2020 across 90 countries. He's had releases on South Point, Marakai Records and Nightbase. He's played at the likes of Boomtown, Forbidden Forest Festival, Fabric, SW4 and UKF, it's Bush Baby. During this episode, we discuss Harry's roots into DJing, touring Australia, sleeping through shows and missing sets, hitting 1 million streams on a track, shifting his entire production from baseline to house, what the strangest thing is he's seen at a festival and keeping true to yourself in the music industry. Our guest this week is a DJ, music producer and label owner from Brighton, taking a look at his Spotify stats, 1.7 million streams in 2020, Three hundred and fifty-two thousand listeners across ninety countries. He's had releases on South Point, Marakai Records, and Nightbase. Played at the likes of Boomtown, Forbidden Forest Festival, Eldorado Festival, Fabric, SW4, UKF. Keep hush. It's Harry Bushby, aka Bush Baby. Harry, how are you, fella? Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Good morning. Good morning. You keep it well? A very flattering introduction.
0: That's a big. Did you like it? I felt my ego getting inflated. Did you get a little. Get I can't little fit buzz through the it? door because <laughs> <laughs> I
1: won't be able to get out. That's a big. That's that's a lot of accolades there, mate. That is a <laughs> lot of That is a lot of accolades. It's very, very. If your ego is inflated, it's absolutely deservedly so because thank they you. are some very impressive accolades there. Just start and just even. I mean, your Spotify stats from last year is that like grown steadily and steadily over the years? Is like last year's the it's. it's is that the peak we yeah, have definitely any
0: troughs yet yeah definitely the biggest last year it kind of just blew up out of nowhere i think um since one of my tunes women's touch came out in 2019 that blew
1: it through the roof yeah that was the um, one that i was going to get onto later about 1 million yeah. streams over that isn't it yeah, yeah, one million streams on that track. That is yeah. absolutely monumental. <laughs> why? Why do you think it is? What I suppose you can't really answer because you don't really know necessarily from the audience. But what do you think it is that the audience or like listeners vibed with that track the most? Uh,
0: I think it's probably a combination of the vocal being quite catchy, but it's not. They're not lyrics per se. They're just it's just a vocal that's been cut up. I have had people ask me what does the lyric say, and I say I have no idea. <laughs> I don't really say anything. I yeah. just cut them up. Um, so it's like kind of that vocal hook mixed with the vocal, uh, sorry, with the um, hooky bass line yeah. working together, which just made it seem to, yeah, it seemed to pop. Quite and well, did that so. get onto like any Spotify
1: playlist? Is that what you think sort of helped contribute to it? Yeah, definitely.
0: That- I think that, you know, all you need really is a tune hitting one because a lot of the playlists tend to follow each other. So if you get one, you will tend to get added to a few others as well. I think that got, I think that one got New Music Friday and Friday Crate Diggers. And some other ones off the top of my head. It's been a couple of years, but yeah. proper front page. And it's still getting, yeah, it's still getting playlisted now, which is mad.
1: That's sick. That's absolutely sick. And obviously we had, uh, uh, just full disclosure, we had uh, your manager, Josh Gunston on here. He was yep. chatting about uh, Spotify playlists as well and how important he thinks they are to like artists and, and distribution and stuff like that at the moment. Would you say Spotify is the main listenership in comparison to say, if we were to look at like Apple Music and stuff as well, do you feel like you get most of your streams or most of the way that people are interacting with uh, music nowadays is like through Spotify? I definitely think it's mainly
0: through streaming. Yeah, Spotify. Uh, probably being the biggest one. Although Apple Music um and like uh, other ones like Amazon Music are catching up. Yeah. Which I think is good because there was a point where Spotify was the kind of Titan and it had a monopoly. And competition's always good for the consumer because you know, it just they end, consumers ultimately end up getting a better deal.
1: And um, we mentioned a lot of your accolades right at the start there. So you've obviously played at fuck loads of festivals had releases on lots of labels but to take it all the way back to the start you live down in Brighton what Mm. are your earliest experiences all the way back at the start with music
0: so I never actually I didn't come from a musical family really Um, my brother played drums but that's about it but my dad was always really into soul and that kind of I've always loved soul music and I've always just loved music growing up it's always been like a massive part of my life and then I remember I I first started dabbling with production with a game called MTV Music Generator on PlayStation 2 Okay. Um, which came out, I'm not even going to attempt to guess when it came out, but I was very young. Yeah. Uh, and it was just like a simple drag and drop, different blocks of like different audio clips.
1: Yeah. Uh, and very, you actually like, used the Joypad for that then. So like yeah, 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 using like the analog tri- sticks and yeah. like, yeah.
0: And it was very simple. That kind of like sparked my interest in it. And then I moved into Ableton and other things like that.
1: Blimey! So was it you? Literally jumped straight from that PS Two one to Ableton. Or you...
0: Well, I know I was in. So I was on that one, and then I went to this other program called Magic's Music Maker, which I don't even think they make anymore. Right. Which was like some rubbish. Uh, no, no offense to the producers. <laughs> so I'm sure they, by, they don't make
1: it anymore. They won't. They won't.
0: They won't by today's standards. Or maybe I just didn't know how to use it. I mean, I was young, but um, yeah, me and my mates used to like record raps and stuff, uh, which I'm happy that they've never seen a live day. Are no, not sitting on someone's memory stick <laughs> from, from middle school like, I I thinking not. or high
1: school thinking oh, shit,
0: that could come to light one day? <laughs> yeah, no, I hope not. I think they're probably all on my old hard drive somewhere in the attic or something. And then, yeah, actually, yeah. So I was learning a bit at school as well um, on a program called Cakewalk, I think it was called. And then, yeah. And then I moved into Fruity Loops. And that's when I really started, because obviously you can do a lot more on there. Started making tunes on there.
1: Did you ever DJ before you started with the music programs or like, or were you producing first and then started DJing?
0: Yeah, I've always been a producer first. Um, really? I didn't actually start DJing until 2014. Right, and
1: then- it's rare to get it that way around. Yeah, like it's very, very rare. This, say out of the two, if just having from my personal experience and speaking to other people, the producing side is a lot more difficult. Yeah, and takes a lot more time, and there's a lot more, lot more energy needing to be used to do it than than like DJing, which like obviously some people will start like a uni will pick up an early controller like a Mixtrack Pro Two or stuff mm. like that, have a little mess around, and then we'll do it the other way and think like oh shit, I would I would like to start making tunes. So for you to do it the other way around is it's really interesting. What thing What do you think spurred you on from that? Like what what was it about 2014? that made you think oh now's the right time to like start doing putting mixes out or start blending tunes um
0: well i went to uni and one of my uni mates had some decks in the house and we were like really into grime and like baseline and uh garage and stuff so we were just like playing that when we come back from drinks or whatever and then um we went to go and see some shows and i was like oh this is wicked like i went to uh a boiler room in Dalston and we saw close one, mystery spoils and monkey wrench. And I kind of like, you can see us in the video. I'm like watching it,
1: like, this is amazing. Really? Yeah. Is yeah. It, it must be on YouTube then. Yeah, it's on YouTube. You yeah, it. So you can spot yourself to there and thinking like, oh, this is the I'm moment where you were like, little, like, hello, I want a bit face. of this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I literally want a bit of this. Um, And then sort of what you came back from that boiler room and you were like, right.
0: Yeah, and just shows around Brighton. Like when we were talking earlier on about um audio, which is now patterns, we went to we went there and um they used to have this night called Warehouse and they'd have like Mac and Man, Tom Shorters, Lorenzo, and it was just yeah, just going to all of those shows and seeing it. And yeah, I saw Miley Lang at um Concord with was Applebottom and like all of the people that are on Black Butter when it mm-hmm. was when it was like the original Black Butter. And uh yeah, after all that I just kind of fell in love with it. And then I got a slot on Trickstar Radio in Brighton. And that kind of allowed me to practice every week, which I've always been grateful for because I don't think I could have stepped into clubs without knowing I would have been so scared because I I didn't know how decks worked at all. Yeah, and there's that
1: thing uh, about obviously starting on a controller and then obviously transitioning to CDJs and like having the confidence to be able to like, obviously had the cue points and put everything through record box and and stuff like that. So I bought some... I bought some decks off someone
0: online and uh, drove up to Essex to get them. And I, I, cause I didn't really know how decks worked at all. I just walked in there and went, yeah, it looks all right. Uh, just like hit the play button. Don't really know what everything else does. <laughs> just like, yeah, that seems fine. And he was like, yeah, uh, you got the money. And I was like, yeah, gave him the money, drove home. And then they broke a week later. <laughs> oh no. What were they? What were they? CDJ? Uh, Pioneer, like? Yeah. They were Pioneer 1000s. So they were the CD ones. They didn't have USB oh, Right, right, Okay.
1: And, and it was and the was...
0: Q buttons were broken on them, and they kept skipping weirdly, and they wouldn't read the CDs right. Oh. So I've got a feeling he might have just like flogged them, flogged just, this to me,
1: just done you in me. there. Yeah. Okay. Well, I do. As as I've come from Essex originally, I do apologise on behalf of <laughs> on behalf of everyone in Essex no, no. for getting mugged at you for mugging you off there with the CDJs <laughs> early doors. Um, so you you you're getting your confidence up by like performing weekly on Trickstar, producing tunes and stuff like that what was sort of like the the first um what was your first sort of point in your career where you thought, oh, hang on a minute. I might have something here. Like I might be able to do this regularly or I might be able to like make some money from this type of thing.
0: I guess it that never really, it didn't hit me that hard. It came gradually, you know. I mm. remember that one big thing, which sounds, it sounds almost, it's quite embarrassing now because it seemed like such a big deal to me at the time. And I guess it is still a big deal, but um, I remember I got a text from Notion. Oh no, he tweeted me and he sent me a Twitter uh, DM and he asked me to collab. And I remember that being like a big thing when I thought of... So- oh, like I'm actually kind of like making some ground here.
1: Yeah, because no, so Notion's a uh, a baseline producer, isn't he, and DJ. Yeah, Is he from Brighton as well. No, he's from. Well, he lives in Bristol. I think right. he's originally from Nottingham. So he would have been. Was he someone that obviously you were listening to and were like, oh yeah, yeah, big time. We and like then you were like, massive. Oh, she, he's message me. That's sick. Yeah, sort of, yeah. What what year would that have been?
0: Huh. So I want to say 2016, maybe 2017. Yeah, 2016.
1: Yeah, and then you still felt like you're still friends and like keep close and stuff now. And yeah, chat. yeah, we're still friends,
0: yeah. and we jumped in a shooter and We made some bits, um, which never really saw the light of day, but that, well, yeah, when I got that, it just seemed like such a massive deal, mm. you know, um, and like playing, sh- and just like playing shows with. I remember one of my early shows was was with uh, Flavor D at Patterns, and uh, just like chatting to her afterwards, and her saying that she liked my music and stuff. That was like really because uh, I wouldn't have thought that they'd even like heard of me or anything, you know? So yeah, it was, yeah, it felt like a big deal and it, it is a big deal
1: to me. Yeah, still. that's sick. That's And it's really nice. Obviously you can look back on that and and recognize like, oh, this is, this is what gave me a little bit of confidence there. Or this is what I felt like, oh, this is really sick. And it's good to be able to like track your, track your progression and, and, mm like obviously other people will, will have like their own standards and different standards and stuff like that but it's great to be able to recognize like your own progression along the way and think like, oh this was a turning point or this was a turning point or stuff like that mm. not everything goes smoothly when you're playing live I wanted to see what Harry had experienced in his career to date in the early days when you were when you were DJing maybe on radio or when you were DJing at clubs or sets was there any sort of like standout moments that absolutely mess ups or fuck ups that you were like oh god this is a this is this is something that will stick in my mind or i'll learn from
0: um definitely i think everyone's pulled out the wrong usb at some point yeah i've definitely done that and it sticks um, on earth
1: so for people that don't know it sticks on earth's four bar loop doesn't it
0: yeah yeah or, or sometimes but sometimes though it doesn't do it exactly four bars so it will loop around a little bit extra so if it was four bars it would sound kind of musical and it'd be fine you could kind of wing it but yeah, if it when it's going sort of like four and a half bars and it skips at the wrong time, that's when it gets a bit jarring and the crowd's thinking, What the fuck's going on? What's like?
1: going on here? <laughs> nice, 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 nice. <laughs> Have you had any sort of like horror stories of like travelling to shows or like travel breaking down or like uh um, yeah. not being able to get like to a, a festival or like an event on time because like there's been there's been yeah, stuff I've got a couple of
0: there. those actually. So I had one in um I played in Nottingham at Stealth, I think it was. And then I stayed up all night. Uh, until about eight or nine, slept for an hour, and then I had a show in Swansea the next the next day or that morning, and then I it was when we got some really bad snow, and the, I looked out the window and it was just absolutely because you know I was kind of down in Brighton you don't get a lot of snow really cause I don't really know why. I'm not going to pretend I
1: know why, but. Just because it's probably the most southern point of the UK, like, you know, like the warmer, yeah. near the equator. We'll just yeah, go with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I equator. think that's it. So that sounds like a scientific Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, there was
0: loads of snow in Nottingham and then all of the trains that I, the train I had to get was cancelled. All of them were cancelled to um, Swansea. So I had to, on basically no sleep, get a train from Nottingham to London and then across to Bristol and then to Swansea. And that was like eight hours of travelling <laughs> in the snow on no sleep, hungover, uh, and then I yeah I played the show and then and up to the show like whoo it's really time really like yeah. oh god <laughs> I need to
1: sleep please
0: and then the the I remember the promoter before the show was like do you want to go and get a Nando's and I just went I I'm probably just going to go to sleep before the show if I'm honest I don't think I can handle it but yeah there, there was another one that I was going to mention um, oh yeah so I got back from my Australia tour in 2019 and um, I hadn't I was really jet lagged. And I had a show at the O2 Academy in Bournemouth. And uh, I thought, I can't sleep. I haven't slept for... My clock's all wrong. I haven't slept for a couple of days. Like on and off. And uh, I thought, right, I'll just like take a sleeping pill and try and nap. And then I woke up at about 2am. And I was supposed to be on stage in Birmingham at (gasps) 1am. And... I thought, oh my God, I've missed my set. So then I've got, I woke up and I looked at my phone. I've got all these texts from the promoter and it was with Manu Leng. And I've got a text from them saying, yeah, like, where are you? Are you okay? The promoter saying, are you okay? Like, are you, like, you're supposed to be on? And then, so yeah, I just had to basically grovel and be like, I'm really sorry, but I haven't, I couldn't sleep. I took a sleeping pill. I was going to nap all day. And then just get the train up but i ended up just sleeping straight through my set i didn't even leave bristol i was living in bristol <laughs> at the time i didn't even leave i just woke up in my
1: bedroom <laughs> that, oh fuck. you must have been sweating as well thinking yeah. oh shit, all these like 56 missed calls yeah but, yeah, and it, yeah. Was,
0: <laughs> it was the night the clocks went forward and yeah forward so we lost an hour so then i got a tweet the next day saying when did the clocks go forward last night and why did it mean that i missed bush baby's set <laughs> so did made you made it even more did you and going,
1: don't worry i did as well <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> me too mate me too uh, yeah that's the yeah i mean was it was the uh was the promoter all, all right after they were all the fine they were yeah. really nice about it yeah they they said yeah um
0: i thought that's what had happened because i'd uh they must have known that i'd been on tour in australia and
1: uh yeah they said that's completely fine and the lane boys were like yeah don't worry it's it's all good. The tour out in Australia—that was the first time you've been like out for a tour, there, wasn't it? Mm. How, how, how do you think that the Australian crowd differs to a UK crowd at all? Like when you're playing and
0: performing—is um, there much of a difference? Or I, w- I wouldn't say there's too much of a difference. I'd say they're probably. This is not a slight on the UK crowd, but they're probably a bit, a uh, bit, maybe a bit more energetic, or they just want yeah. it a bit more. I, d- I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I would say they're fairly similar, though. I would say I've heard that they're more energetic, but I didn't
1: necessarily notice that
0: any more than the uk i'm trying to be fair to both sides no here. no no. i get it you don't want to slightly
1: the audience i do yeah. i'm i've just i know they absolutely are well up for a lot of drum and bass out there like dnb which i didn't realize it's yeah, only the last it. three or four years that it seems to have in. like looking on social media and looking at some of the brands and stuff that have put tours out and stuff there there's not like a lot of australian uh a lot of australian drum and bass producers that i'll be able to name off the top of my head but no, for whatever yeah. reason there's there's they just love it out there
0: they know how to party though for sure i remember i went over there and the promoter was trying to get me to do a shoey, which, which is, is what, like where you peer and pour a beer into a boot and, and yeah into a boot of and it, it, it. And down it yeah that is dusty uh, no it was my last show before going home so i was trying to take it easy because our flight was it was like very early in the morning was it his shoe yeah. as well no it was
1: going to be my shoe oh was gonna... you don't want one wet shoe for the rest of the night <laughs> yeah, you know exactly, what do? Yeah. <laughs> just rolling yeah. around with one wet shoe like, yeah yeah oh that was and it was it. Like, i'm pretty sure i
0: only took I might have only taken that pair with me or maybe I took another pair. But yeah, I just remember thinking like, these are my comfy
1: shoes, I don't really want to. Yeah, on the flight, like it's like you've got. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, you probably, you know what, you probably called it right there and was like, oh no mate, I'm I'm full actually, you go, you go ahead. But people were so
0: nice over there, man. Like really nice and really chatty.
1: And yeah, they just love it. So, if I was to ask you, Harry, what was your, uh, what's been your worst experience or weirdest thing you've ever seen at a festival? I won't name the festival, but I remember once I was playing, and
0: um, about 15 minutes into my set, someone collapsed and started having a fit on the floor. Uh, everyone in this story is fine, by the way. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, they started having a fit. The security come over and say. All the people in the front in the front row were kind of like putting their hands up and going like that, uh, like putting their hands up and sort of pointing down. Yeah. And I thought, oh, like they must be having a good time. Like everyone's got their hands up there. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm laughing, like, we've established that everyone in this story is everyone's fine, okay, fine. Okay, so we can laugh. Cool. But you're yeah. like, yeah, this is popping up. Yeah, like, I was this the elbow, is going yeah, great, Something <laughs> good. <laughs> and they're going, no,
0: turn it down, turn it down. And the security come over, turn it down. So I turn it down, and then it's silent for about. 20 minutes while they get this person out of the crowd yeah and i'm just standing up there with my girlfriend at the time and uh notion had just played before me so he was up there we were chatting and he was saying yeah this actually happened to me during my set and i thought oh that's kind of weird because he just played before me yeah so i was like oh this that's kind of weird there's like a bit of a pattern going on here so yeah 20 minutes go by they go all good turn the music back up i'm like sweet i play Had to build the crowd up again. So like another 10 minutes of getting them going. At that point, I'm probably about 40 minutes into my set. And then it happens again. And someone else passes out and everyone goes, put the music down. Luckily this time I knew Three times in like two hours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they get him sorted out. And then by that time, my set was basically over. So I handed over to the next person. Anyway, the promoter came up to me um, at the end of the show and said, yeah, sorry. We've had like a really bad batch of drugs going around the festival. Oh, gosh. Uh, So- I was like yeah no that's obviously completely fine. But um yeah, everyone was cool but that was probably like the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me because that yeah. was like three people in the space of 2 hours. Um and I only got there halfway through Notion set. So it was like I don't I maybe had more before that. But apparently yeah apparently a lot of people were. So yeah just be careful. That's all I can say just yeah, yeah absolutely. You might be careful
1: out there, but yeah, that is a yeah. uh, that's very unlucky. And hopefully, like you said, glad that everybody was okay from that. But um, yeah, but uh, yeah, that's got to really freak people out in the crowd as well. Like not just yeah, even yeah. from like a DJ or anything perspective, but that's obviously going to create a, a strange atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, you know, obviously so regularly yeah I, I was and I mean, then you're I'm, sort of I'm, like
0: right okay guys right, they're all fine yeah. now
1: let's start playing again let's start yeah. playing music and then you're like I mean, oh, it's, 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 uh, it's, yeah, it's got to be a strange situation for you to be in strange situation for the crowd to be in obviously strange for the poor sod that has collapsed
0: yeah exactly um, I mean I'm sitting here saying like yeah I had to like get the crowd going again but ultimately the only thing that matters is that those two people were okay yeah and um, I'm glad yeah I'm
1: glad they are We've discussed on this podcast before how location in the UK can influence your entire musical taste. I wanted to see if Harry thought the South Coast had influenced his. Do you think Brighton has had much of a um, has had much of an influence on your music career?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say like firstly meeting my manager uh, and the South Point crew in general. Um, Josh, my manager is head of South Point, along with Jay, run it together. So, yeah, I mean, if I hadn't have met him, like he does so much for me and he's opened so many doors for me. So, and I'm like eternally grateful for him and all of South Point, to be honest, because they really helped me um and still do. So, yeah, so I would say definitely on that front, Um, in general, it's got like a really good music scene. At least when I was at uni, the the, the amount of shows we went to was just amazing, like the lineups they had like if you saw them now you'd be like whoa like they have like bicep on a three-hour set before they i think this was before they started doing proper live sets and and trickstar as well uh, the radio station that i had a slot on that really helped me because um it just allowed me to practice and i don't think i would have been as confident walking into clubs and playing on cdjs as i am as i as i was without having that practice
1: do you think when you were doing radio shows do
0: you think it helps build your profile as well yeah i used to live stream it and it used to be like a weekly thing and people used to it used to be like the same people jumping in every week to like comment and just have a chat and stuff and then it would like grow over time so yeah it definitely helps
1: yeah 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 i can imagine that obviously when you, if you're getting tunes sent to you as well or like you get into like mixing like like you said dub plates or like exclusives from people and then consistency obviously like you said weekly there would definitely help you out
0: that's the um that's another thing as well that I've just picked up on what you said there is um I, was, I had to search for music every week and I I wasn't getting like a lot of bookings at that point so that kind of allowed me to like build my music it, it forced me to build my music library and stay uh, interested um and trying to find new music all the time definitely because
1: if you're like some DJs now and obviously some people listening might not realize that some DJs will play probably around 80% of the same set like if they were doing five shows in the night like every mm. set might be the same or every set if they if you see one DJ like playing somewhere at the start of the month at the end of the month the set might be very very similar whereas like you said if you're doing an hour show every week you're mm. you can't be mixing the same tunes that you did like mm. necessarily I think it was it weeks. was
0: two hours at the start so I really oh, right. had to put okay. the work in yeah really had to put um, the work in to get new tunes yeah. and then
1: obviously find out which ones work well together and then were you talking over the music as well like hosting yeah it and yeah I yeah. hosting yeah so yeah that enables you to really just build up your confidence then does not it and build up yeah your, for sure I'm still your... not very good on the mic though like,
0: like when I'm playing live I don't like I don't like being on the mic that much well, when know, some did... DJs yeah I some do. DJs I like, say I like jump on the mic and hype up the crowd and stuff it's
1: uh yeah, there's few and far between really, I suppose, isn't there? In the in the in the bass music scene that do it. I can I can think of a couple, so like Goof would start jumping on the yeah. Holy Goof would, wouldn't they? Yeah. Um, Shapes would for a little while, mm-hmm. wouldn't they? They're a DJ duo and stuff like that. But normally it's rare because I suppose normally in the past, when I say the past, like probably pre two thousand ten ish, uh, you'd have MCs mm-hmm. you, that would be hosting and you'd have MCs that would be doing it. But yeah, there are a, there are a few that are, you can name over the last three or four years that have that have really put themselves out there as well. I was like jumping at my heart, hyping up on the mic. Have you done it a couple of times before then?
0: Yeah, only when I've got a few drinks
1: in me though. Yeah, a couple of <laughs> oggie oggies. Ogie, yeah. <laughs> yeah, getting the energy up with the crowd. Yeah. Those <laughs> ones, those ones. One thing I was going to touch on there as well is, as you said, Josh uh, representing you and managing you there. Number one, I was going to ask you, what do you think a manager does for an artist that that like people may not realize. And number two, when did you know it was sort of the right time to have a manager? As opposed to like, you know, when you're starting out and you're obviously sorting a couple of bits yourself and you might Mm -hmm. be like sorting bookings here and and emailing people yourself or trying to get shows and stuff like that. When was the sort of point where you thought, you know what, it's now time to sort of take it to the next stage. I do want representation. I do want management to sort of take over.
0: Yeah. So with Josh, it happened really naturally. It wasn't really a, I guess it was a decision on my part, but it was, uh, it was, we were kind of became friends through South Point. And then um, over time we started chatting more and he was saying like, you know, where do you want to be? He was doing a, his dissertation at uni. And I think I think the, the whole managing thing came about because he, he wanted to do a dissertation on what he'd done for me, basically. So we started, we kind of, it kind of, timed perfect timed, we timed it perfectly because he started managing me as he was working on his dissertation and then he wrote about that and then we kind of just grew from there so it wasn't really like a you know i want you to be my manager okay let's sign a contract it was more like we met through the record label we became mates and he was oh what do you want to do what like do you think would you be up for like me managing you and then we just started
1: slowly working together more and more and then it just built quite naturally so very organic process and like, yeah, just, yeah. yeah, like a very, oh, that's nice. That's really, really nice, mate. From your perspective, what is he sort of doing on the, like, what is a manager basically doing for you? Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't
0: actually answer that part of the question. That's all right. But um, So yeah, in the early days when I started first started getting shows, he was doing my bookings as well. So he was doing like my advancing, booking my train tickets, talking about fees and stuff like that. Um, and then he kind of, I mean, you know, Josh, he's quite, he's a very social person and he's very good at talking and connecting with people. So that works in my favor a lot of the time because I'm not, I'm quite introverted and I'm, uh, find it quite difficult to talk to people sometimes. So he kind of builds a lot of connections for me and he knows a lot of people that work in like major labels and for Spotify and people like that. So if I get a tune, he can kind of try and get it in the right places and to the right people. That being said, uh, I try not to use that as an excuse, like not to build relationships with people, but it is nice to have that someone there to sort of build those relationships and bridges and get your music to the right people
1: i'd never really thought of it like that uh, to be honest but no that's definitely a beneficial thing for both and he, you and for him
0: yeah and he helps me with uh, direction as well so we sort of i've always thought of thought of bush baby as sort of like a two-man project in a way oh been. yeah i mean he plays a massive role in like my direction and where we want to go and like the branding and stuff like that maybe not maybe not bush baby is a two-man project but um it's definitely like we've got a team like we i feel like we're on the same team a lot of the time and um i kind of see him as like the captain of that team i guess and i look to him for direction and or i come to him with an with an idea and then he kind of says like okay how can we put it into practice how can we make it work so we work together like quite well
1: (laughs) It's rare, but not unheard of, to see artists change musical territories when they've got an established fan base. I spoke to Harry about his transition from bassline into house music. One thing that, just to follow on from that point there, about looking at the direction and looking at the sort of the, the the sound and your sort of sound design. I'd always known you in the past as a, as a bass music producer. Mm-hmm. And then recently, would you say over the last, 18 months or 12 months that you've sort of transitioned more slightly into dabbling and producing and making some absolute bangers in like tech house <laughs> Thank and you. house music
0: so yeah i mean i would say it's probably been longer I, I was dabbling in house and techno been it's been a couple of years now yeah but it's always been in between bass tunes so i've been releasing like a house tune in between a bass tune or whatever and over time i've slowly started just working more on House
1: and techno. What is it that sort of made, because they're quite different. You never, I've never really heard of personally, like anyone moving from that bass sound. uh, That's obviously you've got, you've got a background in bass. You're an established artist in that bass sound. And then, um, and then transitioning across to, um, to tech house there. And then obviously you can also like still produce bass music and still put out bass Mm -hmm. music and stuff as well. It is rare to see an artist do that, I'd Mm -hmm. say. And it's rare to see a producer do that.
0: Yeah, the person I always look to is Scream. He walked away. He was at the peak, the peak of dubstep and the peak of his sort of career at the time. And then just thought, I'm like, fuck it, I'm just doing this now. Mm. And he just walked away from it and just did something else. And I've always respected him for that. Cause like, if you're, you know, I mean, I know he's still, he probably still likes dubstep and everything, but just, I've always viewed it as I'm going to make what I want to make. Mm. And I've said that from the start. And people's tastes change. I still love baseline. And I still love garage and all of that. I love it, but over time, I've I also like this stuff as well. So I'm I'm going to make it. And yeah, that's that. I just yeah, I don't know. I get I get why people might have a bit of a problem with it because they want me to maybe to release more baseline stuff. But I
1: just I, I want to be authentic, really, to me. Mm. And I want to keep you, my integrity. Have you had much? You just said that about people having a problem. Have you had much resistance to it at all?
0: I actually no. I haven't. I haven't really had that much, to be honest. I thought it was going to be a lot worse. Um, I've definitely had like I've gone to shows and played certain tunes and someone gave me the middle finger once. Um, not in a good way. Yeah. Like usually like <laughs> None you they go fuck that. off. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> they literally Someone this- actually just like looked me dead in the eye with a straight face and just like, like fucking finger. Yeah. But like, you know, I could you could say that was probably that might have been a fault of my part. Maybe I played the wrong tune. And that's fine, that guy's allowed to have his opinion. But um, I haven't actually had too much resistance to it. I get a lot of people asking. Can you release this tune? When are you going to release this tune? I've got a tune called Annihilation that a lot of people seem to want to be released. And uh, I always think eh, maybe like in the future, but I haven't really got any plans for it. And I don't, yeah, I don't know. I just feel a bit sort of distanced from that side of myself right now.
1: Yeah, so, mate. You've got yeah. to keep true to yourself. Like you said, as you brought up there, the, the great example of uh, Mr. Ollie Jones Scream 2013-ish was at the peak of that dubstep bro step sound doing stuff with Benga and um, releasing free EPs and stuff like that. And then obviously he wasn't really happy with the sound and what was happening there. Transitioned slightly to doing disco bits, just like stuff on boiler room. Obviously there's Mm. the famous sets with Disclosure and the famous sets at Red Bull Music Academy. Big stuff there where we're starting to transition, moving into the more sort of bodica stuff, Joy Orbison type bits like that. Mm. And then like coming out the other end, like obviously that first track that he brought out, Roller Coaster, I think that was 2013. Mm. Um, uh, the sort of more disco-y stuff and then moving more into the tech house and techno and stuff like that. And because it was like, I wasn't happy with the sound that I wanted. And even though people wanted to pigeonhole me and wanted me to produce this sound and I was getting... a lot of resistance at the time because it was so different I think he himself has said in several interviews and as you've just echoed there that you want Mm. to keep true to yourself and you what you don't just want to be going to a show thinking oh god I fucking hate this music but I've got to do it because it's what my fans want or want stuff like Mm. that like your fans will respect you if you um, if they respect you as an artist or as a producer like they'd rather I'm much rather sure that like your music your other music is still out there it's not like it's gone anywhere you're just producing a new sound now and a new track and if it makes you happy and if it makes you feel more fulfilled then that's what it's got to be at the end of the day hasn't it not yeah and people. i don't
0: i don't hold any sort of like resentment towards that music at all i really i still love that music i still um, particularly garage like i still love baseline as well but it's just yeah, it's like you said i just want to be true to myself there's times where i was making tunes in the studio and i wasn't feeling it and i knew then that i was like mm, i don't know if i'm if i like making this music as much as i used to and I'm I really really like this other stuff, and like I didn't really know much about it at that point. I I didn't know how, I didn't know much about how to make it at that point, um, but it was like just fun and like refreshing to make some new stuff,
1: you know. And that, well, I was going to touch on that there as well because obviously line and garage and even bass music has a certain sound design and will have sort of a, a certain structure. How did you find producing um, house and like tech house? Do you feel like tech house is 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 simpler? Like, is it not simpler? That might be the wrong word. Was it easier for you to make tech house tunes uh, and, and house music than it was like bass music?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. I think it's um, I think the main thing for me was my mindset that I had to change. I don't think it was like necessarily a technical ability. It was more, I was I liked all these tunes, but I still had like the ideas of a baseline producer. So I'd make a house tune and I'd put too much into it. Hmm. Or I'd, I, I'd like, I'd overdo it because with baseline and D&B, you, your main sort of aim is to get that reaction and get the sort of feeling of, I guess it's aggression um, with like adrenaline and stuff like that. But with house and techno, it's, I mean, it's still adrenaline, but it's slightly different. It's a slightly different, um, uh, it's a slightly different area of like emotion. So I just found it. I had to change my mindset and kind of do less and be try and be more tasteful with what I was putting in. So mm. more selective with, with what I was putting in and I would say that DMB is definitely hard, difficult to produce. I've I've made a few DMB bits, but I would say like full on techno is pretty hard. I've made I've tried to make. Some people may not say it's full on techno, but I'm, i tried to make some like some drum code stuff, stuff that sounds like it would fit on drum code. Yeah, and I just yeah, I mean getting the atmosphere right and everything is so meticulous. It's it's more about like taste, yeah, and creating like an, that atmosphere and that sort of like mood. Mm. Um, whereas with d and baseline, you can kind of get away with like slapping a load of overdrive on the bass and being got, a bit more in your
1: face and yeah. Do you reckon it's accurate to say you've got less places to hide? in techno and house, yes. because it's a, a more minimalistic, but like you said, sof- I, I don't want to say sophisticated because you can get sophisticated in any type of music, mm-hmm. but because it's a cleaner sound, yeah, you've got less places to hide less necessarily where you, in comparison to like bassline or drum and bass, where you like you said there, it's high energy, high BPM, you've got lots of effects on it, you've exactly. got a really wide soundscape and there's lots of stuff going on and on all of the time and there's build-ups and there's drops and there's build-ups again and, and yeah, there's yeah. Like stuff like that, whereas as a house track or a tech house track, there's less less sort of places to hide bits and pieces or like rough around the edges type things. If you want like that clean sound, even in techno where something might be really heavy and industrial and hardcore, it's still quite a clean sound sometimes. Mm. That's
0: a really good way of putting it, actually. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, there's definitely, yeah, less places to hide. It's, um you're, yeah, there's less going on. It's slower, but that almost makes it more of a challenge to get that, uh, that good kind of like dancey feeling, um, as cliche as that sounds. Yeah, you almost have to be, do less but be more selective and have like a keener ear for what sounds good and you start getting into like it's less about the production and more into putting yourself in other people's shoes or just um yeah just like having a good ear i guess is how i would put it having a good
1: taste uh who do you think has been influential to you in sort of sound design and production with this new sound that you've been creating so i really like uh,
0: this guy called marcellus another one would be Alicia. A lot of the people on Kaluki, uh, Solar, Solado, obviously, um, who own Solar, and uh, Tenchu, who actually started out making baseline um, with me, like we kind of know each other from there, and our tastes have kind of evolved in a similar vein. So he sends me a lot of stuff, and he sent every time he sends me, I'm like, oh, this is
1: amazing, and it makes me want to get in the studio and make stuff have you got any bookings for like the the new festival season and and when stuff opens up again are you sort of being booked for the bass stuff at the moment or have you got sort of like enough of a back catalog and enough of uh of a of an understanding in the industry like the industry understands that this is the new sort of sound that you're wanting to play and this is the new sound that you're pushing is there sort of any events that you've got coming up or any bookings so
0: i've actually i had my agent um my agent was uh, tom at echo and he was like amazing like great agent great agency um but i've moved to my so my manager is now my agent again um because he's also a booking agent for 13 artists which have all like the top you know got like arctic monkeys and jamiroquai and all those people so they've got like a huge roster but tom was a great agent but um his main roster his roster is mainly like base and garage and stuff so i thought right if i need if i want to get bookings in these other places i need to kind of be with someone who's got links in those areas. Uh, yeah, we're just taking shows that are the right ones. So at the moment, I'm not too bothered about playing a lot
1: of shows. I'm more bothered about playing shows in the right places. Do you know Should what, mate? That's actually really fucking refreshing to hear that that you are putting your money where your mouth is and like you're mm. going full in on this new sound. And that, like I said, there's, no, there's not, there's very few and far between artists that I can think of that have, have transitioned from one sound to another and would like because obviously especially with coronavirus and everything that's gone on there now absolutely mad respect to you um yeah thanks to you it's been painful uh, turning uh, down exactly this is what i mean it's (laughs) very especially over the last couple of like 15 16 months mate you've got to be a very strong-minded individual and Mm. very like on the ball, which is fantastic that you are to be like, you know what, this is the sound that I want to go with. This is the new brand that I want to go with. I might not necessarily get as many bookings in the first year as that I would have like last time before, Mm. because I've changed my sound. But if this, this is what's going to make me happy and this is what it's going to do. then
0: I've kind of just had to take that man, that mentality of like, I don't give a fuck about money at the moment, you know, I'm, and that might sound like a bit of a privileged thing to say or whatever, but, I'm not going to be necessarily on the streets anytime soon, so I'd rather be true to myself. And you know, if I have to pick up a day job, that's fine. I don't mind doing that, but I want to play shows with music that I like playing to the mm. right people. And I still love, I still love that scene. I still love baseline. I still love garage, but um, I want to give it a proper shot you know
1: yeah 100% man. that's very refreshing to hear mate very very refreshing to hear chord and clank your yeah. label What was it that sort of made you want to start your own label, I suppose? And then also for anybody that's listening, sort of what what would you think is the right way to approach a label if somebody wants to get music signed?
0: Okay. Um, Oh, if someone wants to get music signed?
1: Yeah. Say, for example, to Corden Clank, what sort of a good way that you've had people approach the label and what's something where you thought, well, fucking hell, what's someone just sent me eight messages in a row for screaming and swearing Mm. at me because I haven't replied (laughs) to them. Like, yeah. yeah. Um,
0: So, yeah, Corden Clank, originally it just started out uh, as a place for my self-releases. So if I had tunes and I thought, oh, they're not really gonna fit on in, any labels or maybe I just wanna put put them out at my own pace and not worry about labels, timetables and things like that. I can just make my own thing. And it originally just it was invisible at the start. So if you go back on some of my old tunes, it says like copyright, cord and clank, publishing cord and clank. But the label wasn't launched then. And then over time it just kind of evolved into, okay, I want to start putting on some new people and putting out music from people that i like 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 Tenchu is a prime example i just love everything he makes and so he was like my first the first person that came to mind when i when i started it uh, in terms of like submitting and stuff i would say um i check the email uh weekly and i mean it comes through on my phone so i'll see it and yeah i mean you can message me on instagram and stuff and i try to reply to everyone and yeah i mean i guess the main thing is just to be like yo i've got a track uh might fit Call and clank tell me what you think and then it's mainly just about the music it doesn't really matter how you get it to me because i i am going to check my message i'm just a human like i've got a phone like you have i'm just going to check the message like and listen to the music if the music's good then i'll i'll put it out i've never really i'm not bothered about if they've got load a massive following on social or you know loads of monthly listeners or whatever if the music's good i'll put it out if anything it's better if they don't have that because I like being the first Untapped person. Untapped source, isn't it? Exactly, there, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, like getting finding in there.
1: gems. What do you wish somebody had told you back at the beginning of your career now? Um, yeah, I've thought about this quite a lot,
0: actually. Um, I think the main thing is when I'm in the studio, work fast and don't overthink it. So don't spend ages picking a kick drum and making it perfect and tweaking it. Just get that kick drum in there and start building the tune and don't overthink. You don't have to play by all the rules that you learn on YouTube tutorials. You don't have to do, you know, you don't have to cut everything below 100, although you probably should, like, cut everything below 100 hertz. Like, if there's nothing there, you don't don't need to. Um, You're just wasting time. Things like that, do you know what I mean? Things that the listener isn't gonna hear or pick up on. I just spent so long picking I mean, you have to make sure you've got the right samples and stuff, hmm. but I just, I've fretted about everything for so long and I never, it took me ages. I mean, I could do well to remember that advice now because yeah. I still don't, I, you know, I still overthink everything and I have to go into the studio with a mindset of, right, I'm not overthinking anything, drag the kick in. Luckily now I've got like a selection of kicks and a selection of different sounds that I like using, drag it in and just keep moving. That is the main thing that I would um tell myself also another thing i'd probably go back and say don't release stuff just yet um maybe work on it a bit more send it to some friends but maybe don't put everything out uh, i'm not talking about stuff under bush baby but
1: previous projects you know okay and do you feel like you've ever experienced where like you were saying there at like at some of the tips and tricks you got for youtube tutorials, some of the stuff you've got in production do you ever feel like you have to take a step back and think like, I'm making this for people to listen to and consume rather than other producers. Like, have you yes. ever been conscious when you think like other producers, especially with you're all mates and your friends and bits and pieces mm-hmm. like that, and you think you've got that sort of just nagging worry where you think, oh, I've got to do this because some so-and-so might listen to it and think, oh, well, he yeah. hasn't done this or he hasn't done that. Like, have <clears throat> you ever experienced that yourself?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think when I, was, when I first started out Bush Baby, I was kind of, uh, well, Maybe I thought of myself as the kind of sound design guy. Like, I liked being the sound design guy. And I always prided myself and tried to learn as much as I could about sound design. And now I'm kind of having to like shed that identity a little bit because I was making very sort of like neuro DB bases and things like that. And now, obviously, with house and stuff, that's not as applicable. So, yeah, there's definitely times where I'm like techie for techie's sake. Like there's no, there's no reason to layer every single sound with layers that you can't even hear that you're telling yourself add space or add a bit of high end. And it's like, if you took that away, does that really matter? Actually, it's clearer if you take it away. Um, but no, I need to be seen to be layering sounds and don't get me wrong. Layering sounds is fine or whatever. Make sure it sounds good. That's all that matters. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Do it for you. Have fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. If that's one thing that's uh, if that's one thing that's come away from this whole, if we were if to encapsulate this whole entire podcast, I would say the one thing that would come away is do it for you and don't do yeah. it for anybody else. Do it for yeah, you yeah. and your happiness and your sound and don't yeah. don't think oh, and find and it.
0: find people that find people that whilst you're making whilst you're doing it for you and making stuff that you like, find your audience while doing yeah. that because I think a lot of the time people can say, well, if you just do it for you, then like, where's your audience? But yeah I think that's key is yeah making music that you like and then showing it to people that like it and then everyone's happy
1: you know 100% mate there is no better way that I could end a podcast than on that uh nice optimistic positive wicked good all-encompassing note mate Harry I went it's so quick an, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you today mate I really appreciate you How taking you, the mate? time uh, to come out and chat to me
0: no worries thank you for having me on
1: listen mate I've told you once I've told you twice you know, not on the list all right all right